Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, former middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Tulip Mamas, episode 26. This is our second Pride episode. Yay! So we're going to take a look at two books with LGBTQIA plus themes, The Whispers by Greg Howard and One True Way by Shannon Hitchcock. Um, to help us out with this episode, we're excited to welcome back John Petrie as our special guest from episode six. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Well, thank you so much for having me. Happy Pride. Yay. I'm secretly waving my rainbow flag, just FYI. You don't see it, but it's there in my heart. We're waving it in our hearts. I have a rainbow heart. (laughs) So thank you for having me back. I'm very excited. I'm so excited that you're back too. And in case you didn't listen to episode six, when Uncle Johnny made his first um, guest starring appearance, John and I have been pretty much like siblings. Oh my God, he's drinking tea out of a B. Arthur mug and my heart is beating fast. I love it. Um, (laughs) We've been like siblings since we met. You know, I did the math today, Johnny. It's 27 years ago we went to Villanova. Oh, my God. And yet neither of us looks a day older. Because we went when we were seven years old. So we're really young and 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 very spry and our knees don't creak or anything. <laughs> um, but Johnny is not only one of my BFFs, he's also the godfather to my little nuggets of demon spawn. <laughs> and he's their Auntie Mame. And if I should die in a fiery crash, he's also going to be daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, well, I've moved all over the country and all over the world and everything. Johnny's been located in New York. And now the best irony of all ironies is I live right where he grew up. So um, it all came full circle. <laughs> and now I live 15 minutes from his father and his childhood home. And it's pretty fabulous. So anyway, it's funny because when we talk about weird things in Massachusetts, we actually don't have to give any explanations because we both understand them. Um, so John has written two YA books, The Quarterback's Crush and Buried Secrets, and he's spent a lifetime in publishing and selling books, and he currently serves as a contributor to the Fab Podcast, April is the Cruelest Month, so check that one out wherever you get your podcast after you finish listening to this one. And um, yeah, that's Uncle Johnny. We, I, I caught, you know, like once the oldest one was born, he instantly became Uncle Johnny. And it's so funny because the little one and I were watching the Trocadero Ballet on PBS last night, night before oh, last, I think it was, you know, that. it's like, and it's like for, for those of you that are not hip to the whole world, um, it's, it's basically, it's, it's drag ballet and it's unbelievable. It's so skilled. It's so high. Like, I mean, this, the skill is amazing, but then let's talk about the makeup. The drag is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And my little one who's seven, who doesn't watch <laughs> drag ballets with their seven-year-olds PS. Um, he was like, I really like this. This is like, so uncle Johnny, isn't it? Mom? And I'm like, it is. It's so very uncle Johnny. And so, you know, that's how it is. He's like, I could see uncle Johnny doing this. And I'm like, yeah, he's old now, honey. But when he wasn't, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh, yes. I, re- I remember the Trocadero. Ugh. They're fabulous. It was fabulous. They're pretty amazing. I never got the chance to see them. They, When I was living in Boston, they came through once. Um, and then um, I was going to go with a friend of mine from work maybe five or six years ago. They were playing down in Chelsea. And it was one of those things. Her son was just graduating from high school and we just never got the chance to go together. But yeah, I, I watch videos of them all the time. They're well, this one's on PBS right now. And Heather, this is the most exciting and shocking part of all of this documentary that we were watching. When the very first time they ever left New York, I think it was 77, was the first time they ever toured nationally. And they came to Indiana. And they were all like, they're going to kill us. We're going to be dead. Why? Like, that was the first booking they got. I think it was... I think it was South Bend, maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but it's somewhere in Indiana. And they were all terrified because they're like, this is such, like, we are literally a group of gay men dressing in drag and doing ballet. Like, why are we going to Indiana? They will kill us. But apparently they were, like, so well-received in Indiana that they're like, well, if they like us in the Bible Belt, they'll take us anywhere. And that's how they got going. It's fabulous. It was really awesome. fabulous. Yeah. And even the Nugs was like, this is really cool. And I'm like, Aww. So anyway, so what's new with you guys besides watching, uh, you know, drag ballet with your kids? What do you do? <laughs> 
Well, I wanted to ask Johnny because the last time he was on the show, he was quarantining so hard in New York. And I just want to hear how it's going now. Uh, Everything is going good. Things have started opening up again. We're still, you know, masking on the train. Um, I have had both of my vaccinations. Um, (laughs) And almost thought he was dead from the second one. Yeah, that second one was not pretty. (laughs) Me, same, same thing. But it's almost come to the point now where I'm so used to wearing the mask that I forget that I can take it off. And you feel naked mm-hmm. or something weird when you take it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. And, you know, I, I, I went out to dinner for the first time in a year and a half with a friend of mine last week. And we were both walking down the street, both of us fully vaccinated, both of us wearing masks. And we were both like, oh, we can actually take this off, can't we? It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then we both proceeded to keep it on until we got to the the diner. And then we're like, okay, we should probably take this off now. I know. I always think, oh, I have to put lipstick on. People can actually like see this now. (laughs) I have to actually do something. Yeah. I know. Well, I do love wearing the mask um, because I can talk to myself. Um, out loud and nobody thinks anything. Of oh, it and you can totally muddle. Yeah. Mutter nasty things at people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to readjust for society with that. <laughs> cause I'll just like stick my tongue at people and give them the giant F you with, you know, cause I have a mask on. You don't know. Yeah. How are you, how are you guys doing now that we're coming out of the nightmare that has been the last year? I was reading, you guys are not good, Heather. You guys are like 30%. You're like 30% vaccinated. I just looked at that. Yeah. I keep getting warnings for like uh, when I look it up on the NPR list that my county is still high risk. Really? But it says unless you're vaccinated. So I'm vaccinated. All Everybody I know is vaccinated. So I think the area I'm in is a little bit better. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on because they've been promoting it. A lot of people have done it. So I'm not sure if they're having a problem distributing it places or something or if it and we're close to the city. So yeah, a lot of people have to work in the city. So they're, you know, they're vaccinated. So you can go out to restaurants here and feel pretty confident. But yeah. Are you wearing masks or no? People wearing masks or no? Um, It's sort of a mixture. Now it's like a weird etiquette thing for me because I'm like, okay, if I go into the grocery store and people are wearing masks still, like I want, I wear my mask because I don't want to freak anybody yeah. out. But I also wonder if they're wearing theirs because they're trying to be cautious or because they're not vaccinated. And, and then if they're not vaccinated, then I should wear mine. I don't know. It's like this whole weird yeah. thing where you kind of look around and see like what I think that's what I think that's what everybody's doing right now. Like people are kind yeah. of like same here because you're like, oh, okay. And I don't I wear mine because I don't I, the, the kids still have to wear theirs. So oh, I don't right. want to do any, you know, like I don't want them to think it's it's not a big deal. Yeah, I, I have seen um, this summer, like, because, you know, I live in a pretty family oriented community. And yeah, most of the kids are still wearing them, even though they're out and about this summer, which I think is good. And I do see their parents, some are wearing them and some are yeah. based on that, I'm sure based on their kiddos. I am lucky my son was old enough to get it. So we're all good here. So. Yeah, the, the, my big one's getting it soon. Now that now oh, that they're cool. st- that there's a new strain that's uh, hitting teenagers, so he's getting his yeah the little one. He's so mean, nothing's going to get him anyway. <laughs> I couldn't penetrate no, that thick no, skull. <laughs> no way. He's just so mean, so mean. So what else is new? Anything, Johnny in New York? Um, no, just I will say this: um, sort of not going anywhere uh, and not having to be on the train to commute really had cut into my reading time. So I have now developed this habit of, you know, two hours to an hour before I go to sleep, I just shut everything off, turn my phone off, and then read for an hour. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have, I set a ridiculously low amount of books for myself on Goodreads and um, Kindle, although just so nobody asks me. Um, I do still go to independent bookstores. I've worked and managed independent Good bookstores. Job. Please support your local bookstores. <laughs> um, the things that I buy online are all the trash books. And I say that nice. with love and respect, but they're the things that I would be like, oh, I, I don't necessarily want to be on the train with that cover in front of my right. face. Because you're like, oh, is having a shirtless guy with a tattoo and a, you know, 
It's like gay Harlequin. You know, and then like a werewolf behind him. Is that going to be one of those things that's going to get me in trouble on the train? So I'm like, I think I'll just download this one. And then I go to the bookstore and I buy my more uh, sedate covers. Acceptable. Yeah. Well, and you you don't want your local bookstore to be like, oh, okay, I see you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know what you're up to. But I think it's also really important because those books that you're buying on Kindle, you're still paying writers for their work. Yeah. You know, those people are, and those people are making a ton. Some of those people are really, you know, it's a really good deal to get into if you kind of get into that niche on the um, ebook. So uh, yeah, go for it, girl. uh, Go. I think it's awesome. I think it's, are they doing Pride this year in New York? Yeah, uh, they're doing Pride. Um, There's a whole controversy right now because uh, the New York City Pride Parade is uh, not having any um, LGBTQ plus cops march in uniform. They're asking people to, they're saying you can't march in uniform. Why? Because we have so many problems? Well, um, you know, obviously I don't work for them, so I can't speak right, for them. Right, right. My guess is it has to do with police brutality and the fact that there is the pride movement essentially has started. And I'm not just referring to Stonewall. I'm also referring to Black Cat and Cooper's Donuts and all of that were very much because of police brutality. Um, and there's, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I can see the arguments from both sides. So I don't want to, you know, be that yeah. person who takes a political stance. Um, I will say when I used to work at Barnes and Noble, um, we would have police officers as kind of uh, backup security in the front. And um, we had one woman, uh, her name is Gladys. I don't want to say her last name because I don't have any permission to do that. But she you, she was one of our regular police officers on rotation. And she and I were talking one day and she was like, you know, every single cop requests the overtime to do the pride parade because there's never any problems. It's so much fun and everybody just gets to have a good time. Everybody's enjoying it. She's like, there's other parades that they are begging people to monitor, but there's just too many problems. Because nobody wants like St. Patrick's day because that's nothing but drunken fight. fest. (laughs) I'm not saying which ones she called out, but I'm not saying you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> oh well that's good they're still uh, they're, uh, Boston's on uh, I, I'm pretty sure Boston is on Boston's open Boston's finally full okay. open so I meant to check if Indianapolis is on but I'm assuming it is since they're pretty much full open I mean they just had the Indy 500 oh so yeah they're definitely assuming. yeah well they didn't have it at full capacity though but Girl, we watched it that. I watched it because you know when you live in Indianapolis you can't watch the Indy 500 until it's over <laughs> So now we take like great pride and live like, oh, we can watch it like the rest of the world is right now on time. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. So weird. And then I was like, this is so boring. This is really boring. And, you know, like, but the nice thing is, is you can have it on the television. You can go do 50 other things and then nothing's really going to change. They're still going to be driving cars. I just wait for someone to crash. Like my husband says, he's only been to the race like, like a couple of times, I think maybe once even. But he says you you put your stuff down, you sit there for a minute, and then you go wander, and then you come back like 10 minutes before the race right. is over, and you watch the end. You know, like that's the whole thing. So I watch it because when we lived there, it was kind of interesting because you could point out like, oh, remember those airplanes flew over? They used to like go right over our house. Oh, you, like you could see the, make the connections. Oh, yeah. That's why we wanted mm-hmm. to watch it because we never got to watch it when we actually lived there until later. But, um, you know, again, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of sports, but my children make me. I now watch because, you know, my husband's out of the country for a couple of weeks. They make me watch Sports Center every morning with them. Can I just tell you? Aww. Can I tell you about who's got a growing strain in which sport right now? Yes, I can. Do I care? No, I don't. No. Anyway, these are the things that happen with the sports ball, but the racing, I just don't get it. Like, couldn't we all do it? Are we all, aren't we all capable? Not Johnny. I've ridden with him. <laughs> Johnny doesn't go above 35. I've known people who've ridden in those cars, like for fun. Cause you can do that. You can buy a trip around the track and stuff. And they're like, you get out and you want to, you think you're going to die because of all the pressure oh. <laughs> on you. And just how fast you're going and how, yeah. And the curves go by like nothing, like a second. I, everybody who's done the ride, I mean, they say it's fun, but they're like, yeah, you think you're going to die. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think anybody could do it. Yeah. As, as Margie can attest, I am perhaps the world's slowest, most cautious driver. 
like to the point where it's probably more dangerous than if I just would speed it up a little bit. Picture Betty White behind the wheel. Oh, I think Betty White would probably drive like a crazy person. So. Not now she wouldn't. It's hilarious because he's, and he will freely admit, he's like, I drive like a golden girl. And I'm like, yes, you do, girl. Yes, you do. I do. <laughs> but you feel safe. I am my mother's son. So I am, I am a, an extremely slow and cautious driver. All right. What well, should we get this show on the road? Talk about our books. Yeah, let's get started. So for this episode, we're looking at two recent middle grade books whose characters are navigating some really rough situations. And they're also trying to determine what it means to be gay. We're looking at two books, One True Way by Shannon Hitchcock and The Whispers by Greg Howard. So why don't we start with One True Way? Can you give us a rundown, Heather? Sure. Um, One True Way came out in 2018. So this isn't brand new, but it's pretty new. And it, But it takes place in the 70s, which is what kind of yeah. drew us to this book. <laughs> Sounded so fun. Um, so uh, the book t- is set at Daniel Boone Middle School in North Carolina. So we're in the South for this one. Um, Allie and her mother have just mo- left New Jersey. So they're um, city girls moving basically to a small town. So there's all that dynamic going on. They decided to move after the death of, of her older brother. He died in a car accident and it sort of split their family up. So the dad stayed in New Jersey and Allie and her mom moved down to North Carolina and Allie is trying to kind of figure out what's happening. She's not very happy with what's going on with her parents' separation. And of course, she's mourning the loss of her brother and the, then she's got this relocation on top of it, which, by the way, I was thinking about that. Like, isn't that what they tell you not to do? Like, you're not supposed to make major life decisions after a death. Well, those are like the top three of the hardest things you can do in a life. Uh, a death is of a child or spouse, a relocation, and then um, a divorce. Those are like some of the or divorce or marriage. Those are some of the biggest life changers. That, and she did them all at once. I know. Poor Allie. So, yeah. So kudos to her for even having any kind of positivity in this story but she does. And she ends up at school. She doesn't know anyone. And this uh, girl, Sam, comes and talks to her on the very first day and just kind of takes her into her fold and introduces her to everyone. And Allie quickly learns that Sam is sort of, she's the star basketball player. She's a champion horse rider. She seems to be everybody's friend. She can fit in in any group. And she asks Allie, like, what group do you want to meet today. And so it's just this really cool story how of this character who can fit in with all these different groups. So Sam and Allie just have an instant connection and they become really good friends. And then that friendship starts to kind of shift a little bit. And Allie begins to understand that she might actually have feelings for Sam that are more than just friendship. And it gets tested a little bit. The friendship and the relationship gets tested along the way. And Sam has always known that she's gay, but she's had to hide it because she lives in a very strict household where the mother is um, constantly preaching you know, the teachings of their church. And the church is called the one true way. And so Sam's always really fearful of what would happen if she came out to her family. But Allie, her family is a little bit more understanding. She has an uncle who's gay. And so she's sort of challenging Sam on that too. So there's all those dynamics are also going on. So yeah, so they try have to try to struggle with that idea of being who they are and then also keeping a secret like that. So anyway, what'd you guys think of it? Go ahead, John, you go first. Um, so I'm, I'm not finished with this one, um, but there's a couple of things that really fascinated me. First of all, I love the fact, and I find it really interesting that it's set in the 70s, um, because I think oftentimes it's easier for us to look at minority groups in historical terms, because we sort of always seem to say, oh, look at how far we've come. And it's, it's more difficult for us to say, it's not just about that. It's about how far we have to go yet. So I, I think that's really fascinating. The other thing that that struck me was the sort of idea of Sam being able to fit in anywhere, which I think that sort of playing the role of being able to fit anywhere and not really being your true self is something that it consistently has been noted when people um, come out. They sort of go, well, I was always playing this thing. I was always fitting in and I was always trying to be this and I was always trying to be that instead of trying to be me. 
that those were the two things that that really sort of struck me um to be with it i think it's beautifully written but yeah between these two books there's a lot of death <laughs> how did you feel about the characters though i mean it, it definitely reads younger it's definitely lower middle grade mm-hmm. i felt like mm-hmm. the characters i i really wanted to know more about I felt like Sam was really just about like being gay. And I feel like there was so there, like we didn't get a lot more, but she likes horses and she likes basketball, but we didn't get a lot um, about, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't a lot of depth to either character. I felt like the writing was a little bit um, more shallow. Whereas I felt like the other character in the other book, the, the writing was so in depth that we really got a good understanding of him. I felt like we didn't get a good in understanding of Allie, Really, we just kind of got how everything kind of she pinged around and everything kind of affected her. Does that make sense? Like how her brother's death, we didn't get a lot about it. We got to how how her brother's death affected her parents. And then that was kind of like put on her. But we didn't get a ton about like how that really affected her. Maybe like one line or two lines or something. I just felt like the whole thing was a little bit, it was a little too surfacey. Like she had great moments. They have this reverend in the book that that they use kind of as a counter side, you know, like a counter argument from Sam's mom and her interactions with the reverend were interesting. Like, but I felt like that would have been a great place to see her kind of explore things a little bit further. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like it was a little, a little, a little lower middle grade, but I'm not sure that the subject was you know, like that if I was in lower middle grade now, if I'm a fifth or sixth grader now questioning my sexuality, would I quite understand why everybody was hiding and why the teachers were, that were the two lesbian teachers were hiding? And because it's so far removed, you know what I'm, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm trying to like talking in a circle, but. Okay. Well, I get what you're saying because this is definitely a very stripped down story. It's not, there's not a ton of depth to it. There's not a ton of like emotional highs and lows and that kind of stuff. So I think because of that, it does read a little bit lower middle grade. I think it's a great way to introduce like lower, like lower middle grade kids to a story like this because it is sort of restrained. It's not full on like digging into the, to everything. And I also think that at middle grade, I thought the example of the adults hiding who they were was really interesting for to explore for them because at that age you're already trying to figure out who you are whether regardless of your sexuality you're already oh you know like trying on different personalities and different styles and that kind of stuff um anyway at that age and I thought that that would probably really relate like kids that age would relate well to that idea of like because there's is something scary to telling your parents something like that even if you have really cool parents because like I was thinking about how like the mom in this story did maybe didn't react the best way but she she explained it like you know when you're kids born you have these certain expectations for them and it's just kind of jarring when they don't line up you know and you have a different and so she kind of came around you know you get the feeling the mom's coming gonna come around because of that because she was just trying to readjust her right her frame you know her ex yeah her goals and dreams for her child but also you know i thought about rick you know the story of rick that we talked about last time and how his mom was opposite she was always saying i don't care if you like girls boys whatever i don't care but yet that was putting its own kind of pressure on Rick because he didn't have any interests, you know? <laughs> so I think no matter what, like how understanding your parents are, I think something like talking about your sexuality with them would be scary no matter what your sexuality is. So um, I get that. I thought that was really interesting for them to start, kind of see adults feeling the same way. Yeah. Um, and maybe that doesn't happen so much now, but I, I do think teenagers still struggle with it. I do think that that's real yeah it's it's interesting and i and i would my guess and i would have to finish this but my guess is um this one feels pitched to a much younger crowd than the other one yeah and i think maybe because i'm very old i'm thinking (laughs) of like when i was in middle school and sort of the things that really that i read that i enjoyed that i was like oh this is a really well-written book um weren't necessarily things I, I wasn't looking for the same kind of depth of character that I was looking right. for when I, you know, now, and I'm going, oh, this is an amazing book. And I love this book. And I want to, you know, you know, I want a character who's a mystery. I think it was geared, it's 
geared towards that idea of let's make this as simple and as sparse as possible. I do think it's really well written. Um, and, and Margie and I pro- pretty much share a brain. So I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to have a lot of the same feelings um, when I get to the end of it, but I enjoyed it. I I'm having a good time. It's definitely an enjoyable book. I, I, I really did not want to put it down because I wanted to see where things right. were going. I think there's a lot of good twists and turns. I think that um, the the religious aspect of it was really interesting to me as a heathen um, because I, I can't imagine like making choices of my life based on what a book tells me, but I am quite obviously in the minority in this country of ours. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, you know, are very much shaped by the religion that they grow up in and are very much shaped by the, by the books that their parents tell them they have to read and the words in these books. I thought it was interesting if I, you know, like for a kid that's in that position right now, you know, I liked how the, the reverend that was sort of her mom's, uh, Allie's mom's friend kind of used the same Bible quotes or Bible ideas to, to refute what the, what Sam's mom was saying about how they were going to be an abomination and everything like that. So I thought that was really, mm-hmm. really important to kids that are, you know, kind of conflicted because of their, their religious teaching. And God knows that's done a lot of damage to a lot of people that I have known for many, 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 many years. So I think like that was right on the money and I like how that was done, but yeah, I, I mean, I definitely thought it was a good book. I just wish that the, where were the grandparents? Like, why didn't we bring in grandma? They literally no said, grandma. we moved here to be closer to my grandparents. P.S. Let them never show up in the book. Not once. Couldn't they? Yeah, they don't even show up for the fair. Yes, they could have come to the fair. They could have come to the fair and danced. I know because, oh, no, it was her dad's brother that was gay. Because I was going to say they have a gay child, but they don't. I know. I thought the same son. thing. And that would have been good. And that yeah. was another complaint yeah. that somebody, um, I, had, I read online, like somebody was complaining about, well, why do we always have to have you know, you, you can only understand your gay child if you've had a gay sibling. And I'm like, oh, but it's a trope. And, you know, it, it is what it is. So just just to give a little bit of historical perspective here, and I'm not defending, I mean, maybe I am defending tropes in literature. I don't know. Maybe I am. But just keep in mind, it was not until 2003 when consensual sexual acts between two adults were legalized. Wow. I mean, just to sort of for an historical perspective. Well, there's still places where gay adoption is not legal. There's places where private adoption agencies, whether or not they receive federal funding, can refuse couples based on, and I'm air quoting here, values. Yeah. Um, so that can happen. There was also, and this was not too long ago, this was maybe two years ago, um, there was a North Carolina preacher who said that if you put all gay people behind a fence, um, then gay people would die out because <gasps> they wouldn't reproduce, which doesn't make sense no, to me really because doesn't. I'm adopted and I have two sets of straight parents. And yet, how do how do gay people get here to begin with? I mean, there's no logic in that argument. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just just to sort of keep a, a historical perspective, I, I understand, uh, while I don't necessarily agree, and again, maybe I am defending a trope, I'm not really sure, but I do think that especially in the 70s, you know, it, I mean, it was only in 2020 that the court said, you can't fire someone just because they're LGBTQ. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think back in the 70s, I think that some a lot of people didn't understand what being queer men, unless you had somebody in your life who was. Right. Because many people still at that point thought it was a choice. Right. You know, it wasn't talked about. Okay. So I, I, one of the things I wanted to point out about this book is Shannon Hitchcock is not gay. So this is not an own voice author. Um, but she had a lot of sensitivity readers, which she lists in the back of the book. But I do feel like some of the things, and of course, again, this is set in the 70s, so it's kind of that way anyway. But I feel like a lot of the issues in this book sort of address like heterosexual issues mm-hmm. with queerness. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like that was one of them. Like, like even with Allie not knowing that she's gay, which I, I'm sure that that's normal, but I felt like that was almost like trying to address that whole thing. It's not a choice, but yet it almost seems like it is with Allie in a way. (laughs) I don't know, but she was trying to decide if she could make that choice, which obviously she can't. She knows that she can't just decide to not be 
who she is. But that was a long time coming to kind of get that out in the book. I felt like that was too long coming. I agree. I agree. And I felt like that was sort of addressing heterosexual fears versus just giving us the authentic gay experience. But how can you write the gay experience if you're not a gay woman? In this case, because it's a, you know, I mean, it, it is, a, it's a young woman. So if you didn't live that reality, I think it would be hard. And you know how I feel about own voices. Sometimes I feel like it gets a little bit right. over the top, but I feel like there, um, I did have a problem with that, that it was written by a woman who was like, oh, this is my best friend's experience. But, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't, I don't even know if it was her best friend. It was like, this is a friend I had in college. That's not really close enough for me personally, like, would I write my husband's story? Eh, maybe because why? Because we literally have shared a brain for the last 15 years. Well, and you have access right. to him 24-7. Right. Would I write my, yeah. my, you know, like my brother or sister story? If I were close to my sibling, if I had a sister, why did I just make one up? Was that just wishful thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a sister. Um, I think you were thinking about me. I was. I was just going to say that. I think it was you, girl. I think it was all you. Um, but that's totally different. But just to say, like, I'm going to tell you the story of I'm going to base this based on a friend I had in college or something. And the sensitivity readers. Yeah, I get that. But you're literally saying, can you read this sensitively for me? <laughs> so they're going to I don't know, you know, like that's a different they're, they're looking for those certain things. I, this was a good book. I don't get me wrong. And I, I will say also one of the things that I found kind of when I was looking for books, it's hard to find a good there's a lot of trans options now there's quite a few gay um young gay men but there's not a lot of books for for girls which is ironic you know we we tend to go in uh fits and starts yeah yeah so there's not a lot of um a, a lot of books about girls sort of questioning their sexuality so that's why i wanted to do that one that's why i thought it was um i do want to recommend and i think i talked about this last time there's um a really wonderful book from when i was a kid uh, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it was middle grade and it is called Annie on my mind. Yes. I saw re- referenced a lot. Yeah. So I would, I would just want to throw that in there. And do you, do you know who wrote it or no? It's Nancy Garden. Nancy Garden wrote Annie on my mind. We'll add it to the show notes too. So we can, um, make sure if you're looking for that one too. Cause I think books like this, if you have a kid who you suspect is questioning or they've said to you they're questioning, give them a book. It really can give them so much sort of solidarity and peace of mind. And, oh my God, I'm not alone. You know, it's, I think it's so important. That, and also I think if you have a kid who has a friend mm-hmm. who comes out, because that'll help them understand their friends better too, for sure. Because not every family has an Uncle Johnny where they could just call him up and ask questions. <laughs> And I, for a small fee, if you contact me through the website, I will uh, book you a, a session with Uncle Johnny if you need it. My kids aren't nearly as excited about asking him anything about like gay life as they are about asking him about Wonder Woman or what it's like to be adopted. They're really fascinated on that one. Right now, they're super fascinated on the whole adoption thing. They're like, huh, okay. And they have a lot of questions. I like to kind of weed through their questions and 95% of them are just stupid, so... Oh, come on, teacher, Marky. There's no such thing as a stupid question. You know, boys. Come on. You have a son. (laughs) Boys do have a tendency to ask really stupid questions. Like, were you and your brother born at the exact same time? I'm sorry. The phrase was, were you and your older brother born at the same time? Yeah. Anyway, that's what boys do. God bless them. We spend a lot of time together, those boys and I. All right. So for our second one, are you ready? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So our second book is called The Whispers by Greg Howard. And this is Greg Howard's second middle grade book. He's got a couple of YA books that did really well. This book came out in January of 2020. And um, it was a nominee for the Edgar Award for Best Juvenile Mystery. And let me tell you what, when I started to like the minute that I read like on page two that his mother was missing, I'm like, sign me up. I am so yeah. in. I love a good mystery. I'm like, I love it. I'm like, hello, let's go find mama. Um, I did not like where we found mama, but I will give no spoilers. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to talk about this. Book I know because you can't when no. we can't we can't give any spoilers because it was such an experience. P.S. Greg Howard, you're mm-hmm. going on our list of uh, those oh, that yeah. we will stalk and drink wine in your front yard. We'll find you, girl. I'm surprised we're not already in his front yard. We'll be, be there soon. We'll be there soon because <laughs> this is really like such an amazing book. He needs someone cheering for him every morning when and offering out. him a glass of rosé. I think that that's what we yes. do. Okay. When he comes, John, you can come with us. 
Okay. We'll find him. We'll find him. <laughs> we'll just bring a third lawn chair. A box of Francia has got enough for all of us. All right. <laughs> okay. So his other middle grade book, which w- came out before this one, is called Middle School's a Drag, So You Better Work. At, that's W-E-R-K for those of you who like RuPaul. Um, we're going to cover that, ironically. That's We're covering that in a couple of episodes. So if you really, if you like Greg Howard, get on the train. We like you, Greg Howard. So we're on the train. Um, so that one's coming up in an upcoming episode too. But this one is very different than the other one. And this is about the, the whispers. It's about an 11 year old boy, Riley, um, who I loved from the minute. I just loved him so much. And he knows that the blue lights in the woods that whisper his name are going to be the answer to all of his prayers if he can just give them the tribute that they need to give him the answers. And he knows this because his mother always told him a bedtime story his entire life that said so and it was a bedtime story about the whispers and the the blue lights that will give you the answers and they're in the woods and one day Riley hears them call his name and he's like this is it okay the whispers are going to help me but he couldn't ask his mom about that because she's missing and Riley knows that it's up to him to find a way to use the whispers to find her. And while he's there, this was my favorite part. While he's there, he's got a couple of other conditions. One of them is uh, like traumatic bedwetting, uh, like post-traumatic bedwetting, which is heartbreaking to read about how he deals with all of that. And his other condition is that he's really loves Wonder Woman. He loves to kiss boys when he was little. And he really thinks that Dylan, the neighbor boy, is a hottie. And that's his quote condition. I just love that. He's like my other condition. So uh, Riley and his friend Gary are going to, Gary, who is like the best image of a, of a character ever. Oh. He's like, he's got a white mama and a black daddy and he looks more like his black daddy. And he's like, but he's got a gut the size of a man. And I just like had such a great image of Gary in my mind that I loved him. Um, but he and Gary, and then Gary has to bring his little brother too. decide to go on a camp out in the woods. And hopefully if they're deep in the woods and they're staying there in the dark, that he will be able to finally make contact with the whispers and find out the answers that he needs. And he's kind of sure that he can't really remember, but he thinks he's responsible for his mother's disappearance. And the police detective and his father are kind of giving him the idea that, that that's true too, that it's his fault that his mother's gone. So he knows if he can contact the whispers to tell her, to find out where she is, he can bring her home and then he'll be the hero and everything will change again. And his dad will love him again. And the police um, detective will stop hounding him. And that's sort of all you can say. It's so I hard. Know. Oh my gosh. It, um, I can say the one thing that you do need when you read this book is a giant box of tissues and probably at least a glass or two of Chardonnay. Not if you're in middle no, school. No, no, no. Well, yeah. you know, not really. Maybe if you're French. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a hard read. It is a good read. It's a page turner. And you, but you also, I noticed me, I, I, um, me, and again, I've had a very stressful last couple of months, but I kept putting it down because I, I was every time we'd get to like a big point of something happening, I I couldn't take it. I would just be like, I just can't have something bad happen. I'm just going to stop reading. If I close the book and something bad's going to happen, then I won't know because <laughs> that's logical. But yeah, it was. I mean, what did you guys think? I mean, we all texted each other while we we're reading this and we're like, hello, we need therapy. I thought it was just one of the most brilliant books I've read. And I read a lot of books and I just thought it was so brilliant, but go on. What do you think? Um, I love this and I knew it was going to wreck me in a good way. When um, the review quote was compared it to bridge to Terabithia, which is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books ever. I, I think it's just really wonderful. Yes. I cried several times. I didn't put it down and I didn't put it down not because I didn't think something bad was going to happen or I didn't want something bad to happen. I think I just didn't put it down. Um, I read it in um, a day and a half, Um, but I think I didn't want to put it down because it really sort of lulls you into this very beautiful world. Such a Southern tale too, don't you? Like it's just such Mm -hmm. a sweet Southern tale. Yeah. And it gives you enough of everybody where it's not you learn a little bit about the detective you learn a little bit about the father you learn a little bit about the brother one of my favorite things and i i don't know how to say this without spoiling anything so i almost don't want to say it oh how do i put this the scene at the end that uh riley has with dylan i have very particular thoughts about that and i may not be able to share them entirely until like we stop recording and i can just tell you guys because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody 
Um, but I was like, wow, this is perhaps one of the most beautifully written things that I've ever read. Yeah. I felt that way about a lot of parts of it though. Yeah. One of the parts that I thought was so awesomely and brilliantly and beautifully creative is the Pentecostal corn choir. Mm. And I was just like, that is genius. Like was the wind he would, he and his mom, his whole life would conduct the choir. And that was the corn blowing in the wind because they live on a farm, not near, like nearby his grandfather or grandparents farm. And he would stand out back. And as the wind waved, he would conduct it like a choral director. And they would, you know, ask for more from the sopranos. And this is just so well-written and such a brilliant, brilliant visual. It was so, I mean, it was the perfect picture. It was just like Gary. Gary was the perfect pick. It was just, you just got enough information, but it was just the perfect information that you could paint these pictures in your head that were just everything you needed. Yeah, I definitely think as a writer, this is one of the most brilliantly plotted books mm-hmm. I think I've ever I mean, I think seriously that I've ever read. I mean, it was just, even though, and I read it in one day, it's so it's a quick read and it's not a very long book, but yet the build of it is so slow because you, it's sad. It's very sad and you, but you're building to it so slowly that you can almost take, you know, like you can take it yeah, (laughs) kind of because you know where it leads you so gently there that it's just beautiful and oh it's yeah it's amazing and it only takes place i think it's only like three days yeah i think it's it's a very short time frame you're dealing with a very condensed time period where a lot happens but it's been a few months leading up to this this is sort of the culmination of a few kind of hard months that it's that's why it's from the time his mom disappeared yeah bridge to terabithia is such a great um example of the another book that it's similar to this one because it is like beautiful and sad but yet so worth the read exactly like that book so it's so hard because we can't say I know, anything about I know. how it's so brilliant you have to take our word for it and go read it and i uh, okay so here's who would i say if i'm recommending this and i want you guys to chime in and say what you think too like the first person i recommend this to is any children's therapist any children's therapist needs For to sure. own this book and it needs to be on their shelf and they need to be able to look school at this. Counselors, school counselors, teachers, any, but honestly, anybody that's got any kid that's going through a really hard time. I mean, it is such a great book and it is so informative. Of, and it's also this book where you see hope. You can go through all of these horrible things and still come out on the other side. Oh my God. It's, it's such a great book. It was, I was not expecting that at all. I was not expecting to just be gushing over it by the end, but yeah. Cause it's, it has like this very fantasy ethereal kind of feel to it. So you don't really know if it's going to be based in reality or not. And that's a big complaint people had is that they thought it was going to be fantasy. And I was like, but kind of, but that's the best thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> But similar to Bridge to Terabithia, it's the same thing. Yeah, and I, I would actually say English teachers and art teachers, just because oh, of the yeah. fact that it is so much about the imagination and creativity and this sort of constant push and pull, I think, that we have in in contemporary society to make kids and adults sort of go face the reality, face the reality, reality TV. And, you know, this is the reality and sort of ignore that, that creative and imaginative aspect of ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this really, along with Bridget Tarabithia, it's like, okay, the imagination can do some really wonderful things, but it can also hold you back in some ways from really exploring reality and understanding what happens So you have to really kind of have both, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you use the imagination and the creativity to work through the reality, right? I mean, that's what this book is about to me. (sighs) I know it's such a hard, it's such a hard one to talk about because pretty much like after page five, you can't say anything else because you're going to spoil it. I think that's the hard part, you know, and it's funny because um, I was looking at like reviews and stuff and so many of them were hidden or said like contain spoilers. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you can't talk about the book without giving spoilers. It's everywhere. It's terrible. Like, it also, this book also does have the best written dog since like old yeller. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Tucker. 
Tucker is right up there with Old Yeller for sure. Oh my gosh, it's like Old Yeller and Bridge to Terabithia. Come on. <laughs> but the nice thing about it, like it is such, and it, it's funny because they both were, one was North Carolina, one was South Carolina, but it's such a slice of like that world. You couldn't, and that's the whole thing about that sort of, like this has that own voices feel because you could not have, like he grew up, this is from where he grew up, Greg Howard grew up in that area. You couldn't grow up in that area and or tell that tale without having grown up. Like my my best friends, you know, like that my sister friends from Mississippi, right? That just sound like they're sister wives. They're sisters. I'm their friend. They're all sisters. <laughs> but they have this like richness in storytelling about tales mama said. Mama said this. Mama said that. Or mama used to tell us this tale. There is a cultural part of that that like Mississippi, the the Louisiana, the uh, the Carolinas that is so rich and that beautiful sort of Southern tales concept that I don't think you can do that. If you haven't grown up there, I don't think you could make, take that and, and, and make it up. You know what I mean? And maybe that's the same concept. Like you can't really write a dysfunctional family unless you were in one. <laughs> I'm trying to like, how does this relate to us? Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's such an interesting way and you are there. You are a hundred percent in the South when you're in this book, hundred percent. I did not mm-hmm. feel like it's the same way with one true way, except for the religion aspect of it. And sort of that like prim and proper aspect of it. I didn't feel like, I guess when I'm reading is like a Southern tale, I want to feel like it's like a sweaty, hot, you know, kind of a. You almost want that like. Gothic. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's like Southern, Southern Gothic. Gothic. That's exactly yeah. it. And you definitely get that in this book. So I don't know. This is probably not our best review because we can't tell you anything other than that. You should just go get this book and you should read go it. get it. And you should read it a hundred times because it's so good. Go get the whispers by Greg Howard. Yeah. I would love to read it again just to sort of deconstruct it, but I don't, I'm going to need. Yeah. Right. I'm going to need to process. (laughs) And this is a book. I wouldn't have a problem giving this book to a, you know, 14, 15 year old either. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, I think it's got a much wider age range to it. I would say 12 on a, I mean, it's really was sort of aimed at lower middle grade, but I don't, it's heavy. For a lower, you know, it's a lot to understand the concepts and stuff within it are kind of might throw somebody off if they're younger. Yeah. But then again, you know, like we're just reading right now, we're reading Counting by Sevens and talk about like a heavy, heavy book with my older son and he's 13. He's having no problems with it. So, you know, I think kids are smarter than we give them credit for. Well, that's true. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, I can't take any more of that one because that's going to kill me. That's all I can say about that. It, <laughs> in a good way. In a really, really, it. yeah, we all highly, yeah. highly recommend it. That's three, three. I mean, up. I was not just tearing up. I was like, like ugly cry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My husband looked at me and he's like, you know, that's fiction, right? <laughs> but it is. But then there's also this nice little part of the back that kind of explains where it comes from. And you're like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it was a little bit close to home. If you've dealt with loss in your childhood, you should probably read this book just for your own therapy. 100% on that one. (laughs) I get that. That's 100% true. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six segment. Uh, We're going to be talking about the grown-up books that we're reading. Oh my gosh. I forgot. We do read grown-up books, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be uh, talking about that when we come back. All right, Heather, you first. What are you reading? Okay, and I'm so proud of myself because I am keeping with the pride theme on this one. I read The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Kling. And oh my gosh, it is so good. It is a bit. I don't have either of you read Uh -uh. that book yet. Oh, highly, highly recommend it. Okay, so it's about Linus Baker, who is a caseworker for the department in charge of magical youth. And he is very, he, his job is very like government, you know, big gray building. Everybody has the same desk, all that kind of stuff. Very boring. He's in his forties. He's a single man, lives with his cat. And then he's um, unexpectedly summoned by the extremely upper management to go visit this orphanage out by the sea. And in this orphanage are six dangerous children because they're, they've taken away magical children from their families and put them in orphanages, basically. And there is a gnome, a sprite, a wyvern, uh, a green 
blob, which is adorable, a were Pomeranian, not a werewolf, a were Pomeranian, and the Antichrist. And they're all living together happily on this island under the care of Arthur Parnassus, who is a very charming gentleman that he and Linus sort of get very close in the story. But it's I just love, love, love this book because it's basically about unexpected families or building your own families. And I just love those kind of stories. It's so like Pose. Sorry. I've been watching Pose. <laughs> That's the same thing, like building your own family. Yeah. And I may have mentioned a couple of times on this show that I'm a Harry Potter fan. So so I have to say this really kind of had that sense of humor and style and also the magical elements are there, but it's definitely for grownups. And I just love that book. Anyway, I highly recommend that, The uh, House in the Cerulean Sea. And that's what you're reading right now? Well, I just finished it. And then I did just get in the mail, which I'm super excited to start, is Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age by Annalee Newitz. And Annalee is one of my very favorite people because uh, they use the they, them pronouns, but... um, uh, they have a podcast that's one of my very favorite podcasts ah, called Our Opinions Are Correct. Yeah. Remember I showed you that one? Yeah, it's a sci- science fiction um, podcast. It's awesome. And uh, they also used to be the editor-in-chief of Gizmodo. So Annalie Newitz is just one of my, I just think, cool, cool person. But this book, it's a nonfiction book, um, which, of course, I read. My adult stuff is mostly nonfiction. But so the book is about four ancient cities. First one's a Neolithic site in Turkey, mm-hmm. which I won't even try to pronounce the name. But anyway, one is Pompeii. One is Angkor in P- Cambodia, and then the other is Chahokia in St. Louis. Really? In St. Louis? I didn't know that. Yeah. And the author basically explores like the rise and fall of cities, which is really interesting and puts it sort of against the backdrop of modern um, humans mostly migrating towards cities and what that means for the cities we're living in today. And I don't know. I just think it sounds fascinating. Is it Gobekli? Is that the one that she did in Turkey? No, it's Katahoyuk. Huh. Interesting. It's in central Turkey. Oh, I don't know that one. There was a new one that was just found. That was That's what I was wondering. Interesting. Oh, okay. But anyway, I cannot wait to start reading this one. I was, I was going to start it last night, but then I got sidetracked. Yeah, I get yeah. sidetracked by like BuzzFeed when I have to like, oh, I'll start a new book. Oh, I should go on BuzzFeed and see what I need to buy on Amazon that everyone's raving about. P.S. did that for the last three days. Got four Amazon orders coming though. It'll be good times. <laughs> so anyway, those are the two books, The House in the Cerulean Sea and Four Lost Cities. I'm excited about those books. So, okay. Who's next? Johnny, you want to go? Uh, So uh, the reason that we did this out of order and the reason is I actually just finished a book by TJ Klune. Oh, you did? The Extraordinaries, um, which takes place in, I think it's Chicago. um, And it's about a high schooler who superheroes are real in this world. And um, it's a kid whose mother has passed away and his father is a cop and he is openly gay and he has a crush on this one particular superhero. There's a lot that goes on. And have you ever read anything by TJ Klune before? This was the first thing I've read. Okay. Loved it. Because I've read four or five books by him and I have House in the Cerulean Sea that I, I haven't read it yet. But I feel like we should have another conversation after this because I have I have thoughts in my head. Did I, I really enjoy The Extraordinaries? I thought it was really fun. There's a sequel to it that's coming out called Flash Fire that I have but haven't read yet. Um, I uh, also just reread Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is about the first son of the of the first female president um, who falls in love with and has a very secret and very torrid love affair with the Prince of England. Oh, that sounds awesome. It's by Casey McQuiston. It's super fun. It came out last, not, wait, this is 2021. It came out in 2019. It's super fun. That was just last year because we skipped 2020. I feel like like nothing happened. That's what I was thinking. Um, But I reread it because there's a new book by Paul Rudnick that is a similar plot, but I think it's going to be a bit more absurdist because Paul Rudnick tends to be an absurdist writer. Uh, and then for my nonfiction, um, again, sticking with Pride Month, because everything that I read has some sort of queer content, um, I am reading The Sacred Band, which is about the Sacred Band of Thebes, which was an army of lovers that held off 
Sparta and kept Thebes a free country for many, many years. It's nonfiction. Uh, that one's by James Rome. Um, it's really interesting. It's slower going for me, not because it's not well written, but because I spent all of 2020 reading really trashy lit. And again, I don't mean trashy lit in a bad way, but when you sort of are like, okay, I should probably read something a little more serious. <laughs> you're like, why are I getting all of these dates? What's happening? Why can't I just, you know? I don't think you're alone in that one. A lot <laughs> of cozy mysteries, a lot of smut. Yeah, I read a lot. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, that's funny. I just finished um, an amazing book that, you know, like whenever I hear about a book on NPR, I always have to, I always have to get it. And this one was called When I Ran Away by Ilona Bannister. And it was one of the best books that I've read in a really long time and uh, kind of, I, I would say like mom fiction for lack of a better term. And it's about a woman who it starts off in Staten Island the day that the towers fall and she meets her husband then, but they don't reconnect for about 10 years. By that point in time, she's, you know, she's adopted a baby. She's, um, you know, she, her brother was lost in the towers early on. And then she's has a very traumatic birth. And when she had with her, her first son, her first biological son, I guess with this man, she adopted another son. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, after she actually has this traumatic birth, she loses it. She it's just like her struggle to try to put all these pieces together. And she's an expat. She's being, you know, she's living in, as an expat at that point and trying to fit in and trying to better herself and then literally just dealing with this horrendous postpartum depression and the very beginning of the book she runs away she runs away to a cheap hotel and she starts just watching um the real housewives of new jersey to feel at home again and there were so many points of this book where i'm like got it girl get that i understand that there were so many points of it that are just so it and you know it's it's and she's an expat in england so there's not a language issue but at the same time there's so many cultural issues that you know like the mental health like getting someone help for postpartum depression and that whole concept acknowledging that this is what the problem is it was a great book but it was really interesting to like you definitely got it like you felt her the character was so well built and everything and she was very very satin island so i have to say that one was a really good one i just finished that the other night and my nonfiction this week it was really strange i had this sort of like writer's epiphany where i'm like why are you doing this this is just so stupid like you should have been doing what you know like your old mentor my old mentor tom would always be like well just do this because you're funny and people aren't funny and like take this path not that path and for years i've been like beating my head on path a when like tom was always saying take path b because that's what works and you find success there and you've done really well and um, that literally like the other, I, I don't even remember what day it was. It just hit me and I'm like, oh yeah, Tom was right. I should just do what he's doing. And I, and all of a sudden, like everything, all these like years of writer's block sort of like faded away and I've been working really well. And then the next day I found out that Tom died and Tom was like, not only my mentor, but he lived in um, Denmark when I lived in Turkey, he was an expat. He was from New York, but he don't, he, he'd become an expat. Um, in Denmark when he was in his 30s and he had kids in his 30s and he started writing later and he and I had this like weird kindred relationship like we just got each other and we would email back and forth when I was in Turkey all the time because it would just be the stupid things like oh look at this dumb foreigner mistake I made today or like this is how you live with a foreign spouse you know like we had a really great kinship and he was in a horrendous fire a couple of years ago that put him into a, like a coma for months and months. And, um, and finally it was the, it, yeah, like he just couldn't, the injuries from that, he, he lost all use of his hands. He lost most of his sight all from the fire. You know, he kind of finally succumbed to all of that, but it was the weirdest thing ever. And um, so I had been waiting to read this and I'm like, well, now it's time. So his last book was that he put out before the fire was called My Life with Women, The Consolation of Jazz. And there's a two volumes, volume one and volume two. And um, so that's what I'm reading. I'm reading Tom's volume one, My Life with women volume one and i'm so, so kind of excited but it's also sad like one of those things where you, you know you have these mentors as adults and they are your mentor but then when you're an adult mentor they also become your friend yeah it was it's it's it was sad but also very kind of like oh 
I feel like there was some sort of cosmic message that he was like, hey, I'm on my way out, but I'm just going to remind you this before I go, you know, so, so that's what I'm reading. Talk about a buzzkill. Sorry, guys. I know that was a really, that was a really sad, sad way to end it. But Thomas E. Kennedy, go read his works, make him famous beyond the grave. So, so that's it. Yeah. Anybody have anything else to say? Thank you for having me. Well, we'll have you anytime. I guess that wraps up our pride episode. So what's on deck for the next episode? Well, obviously food, my favorite thing, food. (laughs) Uh, There are a ton of books out recently. There's been a flood of middle grade books about food. Um, unfortunately, 99% of them only have female main characters. characters. Yeah, but we have yeah. found a few. So I'll be reading um, All You Need Is Love, which is our girl Tanya Guerrero. She's on our Franzia list. We love you, Tanya. Her new book is All You Need Is Love and The Peach Pie Experiment, When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Peach Pie by Erin Soderberg, Soderberg Downing. That's my. Those are my two choices. And you're reading... I'm reading A Place at the Table by Sadia Faruqi and Laura Chauvin. And I'm reading Midsummer Mayhem by Rajani LaRocca. Excellent. So if you've liked what you've heard on our podcast today, please leave us a review and share the podcast with other people. If you know somebody you think might like it, please share us so that more people will listen. And um, leave us a review. And if you leave us a bad review, you are not on our Franzia list anymore. And we will not come and sit in your front yard with wine. Just know that. Um, (laughs) But that's okay. We'll still like you. (laughs) Kind of, maybe. We'll see. We won't haunt you. (laughs) And if you want to join us twice a month for KidLit discussions like these, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcast. And if you want to know what's happening in our world, you can follow us on Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram, Two Lit Mamas on Facebook, and of course, on our website, www.twolitmamas.com. Have a great week. Thanks, Johnny, for coming. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Happy Pride year round. Happy Pride. Pride. Bye.